Grew up in a little house of eight kids. Nobody prepared me for how life is. But I learned a lot of prayers. Dad thought God was all there was. And we knew when we broke his heart, we'd quickly be the wayward members of the bad, bad family. Bad family. Bad family, a podcast about black sheep, bad kids, bad family. Let's get started. Hey, Coco. Hey, Link. How's it going? Going pretty good. I am just, like, beginning to unwind. I finished work one second ago. That's okay. Um, No one else is. It's just you and me, brother. (laughs) Um, How was your Friday? It was okay. I... I got a lot done. I it's actually my industry's annual conference right now. Uh-huh. It starts next week, but there's like a section of the of the like industry association that focuses specifically on private law firms. And uh-huh. so their their virtual conference was today and so I was trying to watch as much of that as I could but also it was incredibly busy and we had a presentation um, that we were giving to some New York and Philadelphia partners and also I'm behind on almost everything I'm supposed to do at work (laughs) yeah I was um I got a lot done today but I am behind in like some other projects so I need to finish um writing this lesson by well i need to get like much further on it by monday so i'll work on it sunday yeah i actually have to do a little bit of work this weekend too because i'm meeting with my boss on monday to kind of go over our reporting Mm -hmm. and you know what we should present about my team to firm management because we've done a lot of good things like our numbers are really good but he was like, send me the slide deck. And I was like, what slide deck? <laughs> <laughs> so I got to put it together this weekend so I can kind of show him on Monday what I think we should present to firm management. Okay. And then um, arrange that. So it's all fine. It's just I hate working on the weekend. But luckily, it's really rainy in New York. So I think I'm going to work a little bit tomorrow and hopefully get this done and then i'm gonna try and take off most of tuesday to make up for that because you can't work all the time your brain just burns out you just start feeling like poo poo doo doo (laughs) i um i was doing really well working today but i think it was because i had like two things of coffee which i normally just have one but it resulted in me crashing around two and then not doing much for like an hour and a half oh i can't drink too much coffee if i have too much caffeine i start getting like heart palpitations like i actually start feeling like i'm fluttering and i'm like hey hey okay okay are we going are we moving (laughs) i mean the first time i had a cold brew because i thought it was the same thing as an iced coffee (laughs) and they gave me a cold brew and i drank the whole thing (laughs) and i was like like a hummingbird i felt like my heart was like (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it makes a huge difference um i can see how it's so easy to get addicted to caffeine i actually sometimes wonder if i have a little bit of a dependency on it because some days if i don't drink coffee in the morning i get a headache oh i always get a headache if i don't drink coffee in the morning so are we to the bean? <laughs> I think I am by now. Because I drink it every day. Um, oh, I... Wait, hold on one second. I just realized. Is that like um, um, semantically wrong now? Are we... Please, please advise me as my millennial um, guides about what is politically correct and appropriate in our world (laughs) is it no longer okay for me to say i am a slave to coffee i must now say something different um i haven't heard anyone like call anyone else out for saying you can't say the word 
So, I just yeah, yeah, I think if you had said, I think that's different than saying something like, we're working like slaves, or, yeah. um, you know, or, or thing, phrases like, uh, like, you sold them down the river. That's like, you shouldn't say that, because that is, has a legacy of slavery. Yeah. I guess if I'm you say... Like, my boss is working me like a slave, then that's a little messed up. But if you say, like, yeah. I'm a slave to my computer, or I'm a slave to my checklist, uh, uh, that, that feels more like a... It feels more like a figure of speech, but I... If someone tells me that they're offended by it, then I'll stop saying it. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I will say I, I went to this interesting discussion this week where we had an author come and speak to our firm um, about the things happening in the world right now and about um, like race and racial issues. And something I thought was fascinating is that someone put in a question that was like, how do we make sure that, you know, in our language, we're not offending anyone by not saying expressions like blah, blah, blah. Um, And I thought that the presenter handled, I mean, he was, he was very sharp and said something I didn't expect. And what he said was, honestly, I don't care if it's just semantics, we'll move on and we'll get over it. But that's not the heart of what I care about. Like the heart of what I care about is making real change. So why don't we focus on working toward that? Hmm. So that was unexpected, but interesting. Let me look up so I can remember the exact author and politician who came to speak to us. I'm opening my email so I can remember exactly who it was. I wanted to rewatch the the recording of the session. I was watching it while I was at work, but I was also a little distracted and trying to get things done at the same time. I often find that I can pay more attention to things if I watch later because i'm incredibly distracted at work it was bakari sellers yeah. you guys heard of him uh, no i don't know who that is we had bakari sellers come and speak to us this week yeah i don't know who that is yeah me neither um, well, welcome megan hi we want to welcome our sister megan making her very first appearance on the podcast um megan why don't Late. you do a, why don't you do a little introduction oh uh well um, I am kid number five out of the eight, classic middle child. Um, I am 33. I work for a little vending company. Um, and I currently am stuck at home living with the mom and the pops, which is very nice of them to let me live there. So, dad. Hmm. Uh, uh, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Well, that's a lovely introduction. I actually missed the last part of what you said. What did you say? Which is very nice, except what? Very nice, but also sad. It oh. is. It <laughs> is what it is. Is <laughs> what it is is sad. <laughs> well, before we get started, we always do a tell us apart segment. Um, I thought it might be fun this week to talk about or to each share a favorite memory from childhood. Mm. All right. Do you have one to start with? Sure. I think one of my favorite memories from childhood was the summertime. Just um, how we grew up in, you know, living with our grandma, but on this, you know, pretty substantial plot of land. I think she had like at least an acre. I'm not sure the exact dimensions, but just like running through what felt like our backyard that went on forever and, you know, being able to pick blackberries or there were these like posts that used to be a fence. And I remember how we would climb up on the posts of the fence and balance and just uh, like have competitions trying to keep our balance on the fence posts. I forgot about those posts. And that's a really good memory for me. It's right outside a. Grandma's. I can't remember if it was a peach tree or a pear tree, but there was a peach tree or a pear tree really nearby in our neighbor's yard. Uh, I think, like the pear tree was further out, closer to the posts. I think, and the peach tree was more in the garden. Mm. Yeah, I think the peach tree was like became entangled in in the blackberries, like the blackberries were growing around the peach tree. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good old grandma's house. Good old grandma's house. Good. What are your favorite childhood memories? Um, I can go. I remember um, maybe some of my favorite memories were going over to my kid best friend's uh, Robbie's house because um, his mom would let us play like violent video games and our mom never found out. Um, so I was like in first or second grade playing Halo and then we would uh, we would uh, play hide and go seek tag when she kicked us out of the house. But yeah, just like fun running around and then video game stuff. I remember playing Halo with our cousin Dan and Joel, but I was I we weren't children. I think or we were like at least preteens or teenagers. Nah, they didn't let me play with them. I was too young. I don't know if it was Halo, but I remember accidentally messing up Ian's progress on a video game because <laughs> I just didn't understand the controllers or anything. And he came back and he was like, no, I worked so hard. So, oh, well. Um, favorite memories for me. I, I always liked when the power went out and dad would tell us about Samoa. That was fun. Yeah, that was fun. Oh, yeah. My favorite uh, Christmas memory is the year that we had like the big ice storm. And the power went out, and so we all slept in the living room with, like, our sleeping bags and pillows and blankets for at least three or four nights. It might have been a whole week because we didn't have heat with no power. And so the instead we were, like, huddled around the wood stove that we had in our living room. It never worked, though. I don't I don't remember if we had a fire in it or not, but I do remember that we were in the living room. I don't think it ever worked because the chimney was never like functional. Yeah. I just remember it's that thing being really dusty. Or poked out. Yeah, I do remember us poking through the grate, so even if we could have a fire in it, it wouldn't have been that helpful. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, what does this do? Poke poke. Oh, what's my favorite childhood memory? I don't know, picking blackberries. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> like, playing in the yard. I feel like I always wanted to, I never climbed the tree at Grandma's house. Because I was always too little or too scared. And then by the time I was big enough, nobody wanted to do it anymore. <laughs> oh, probably like me. I climbed it, I feel like. A hundred times at least. I didn't climb the big one, the sweet gumball tree, because they had taken yeah. down all the big branches before um, yeah. I got old enough. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I climbed I the guys all climbing it one time, and I was too little, and I was so mad, and I just went <laughs> like stomped to the swing set, <laughs> <laughs> just so mad. I actually hadn't remembered that, but I have like dozens of memories of just being a kid like up in that tree and what the view looks like of the street below mm. well those are all good memories well i guess we can uh, just jump to it um well first of all we're very excited to have megan but one thing megan wanted to talk about is um on a previous episode we were talking about megan and she emailed us privately and said she went into disabuse us of some misconceptions that we had about her and as we're all about you know getting to know each other as we truly are we'd love to hear uh, what megan wants to talk about okay well before i um address what you guys said i wanted to ask uh when did you guys suspect that i was queer or find out that i was queer I have a really specific memory, actually, because uh, I think freshman year of college, I came to visit you guys for Thanksgiving, and I was in your room, and you had, like, gone to the bathroom or something, and I saw this sticky note you had written that said, like, 
pray about homosexuality or something. <laughs> and I was like, interesting. It's <laughs> a clue. <laughs> okay. That's funny. That's a good clue. I don't have a distinct memory, but I remember there was a time where there was a lot of um, awkward email conversations happening. And not privately, but like with our entire family. Where... What? With me too? Yeah, with you too. With the entire family. And I remember on one of them, Megan said... Um... Well, I mean, some of them were really productive. Like, we were talking about gender not being binary. Oh, I remember um, that. I remember Megan's email, actually, because it was about, I feel like you were explaining, like, the concept of trans people or, like, mom and dad. Yeah. And this was a yeah, long time really ago. This was, like, four well, or five years ago, maybe. I'm not sure if I, I saw this email through. And I didn't actually send that email to mom and dad, just the siblings. Oh, it was just trying to work through like what I was thinking about, um, I guess, trans people and trying to fit that into the framework of the gospel. But yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I feel like my my first clues, I don't have any distinct memory of thinking that you were queer, but my first clues were conversations that we had over email chain. Um, and, and I feel like in some of them, you were even very direct and I don't remember which family members were on them, if it was just siblings or just our parents, but I feel like an email you had said to all of us, you know, that you were attracted to women and you didn't know what that meant in terms of, of where you fit along, you know, whatever lines of how you define yourself. Um, and to me, that was very clear. And I, and in my own mind, I thought to myself, it like triggered memories for me of how you, when we were in high school, you had joined like the Gay Straight Alliance. And I thought to myself, either Megan is the, you know, just the most loving, big hearted, you know, person alive who, who really who just, you know, has a heart for every minority group and cares about everyone or, you know, this is like a, a personal issue. That's like the first time it registered for me. Okay. Uh, well, very kind. And uh, actually touches right on one of the things I wanted to say. So the thing with the GSA, this was, this was in middle school, not high school. And it was my friend, Carolyn, and she started our middle school's chapter of the GSA. Um, and I, I don't remember if I knew right then, but at some point I learned that it was because she was the adopted daughter of a lesbian. Hmm. Um, so that's why it was important to her. And then I was her friend and she was like, hey, do you want to join this club? And I was like, yeah, sounds cool. And then I just had this like weird... I don't know, this weird feeling like, I feel like mom would want me to ask her about this. So I said, let me ask my mom. And I went home and I asked mom and she was like, what's the GSA? And I told her and she was like, oh, no. And I was like, why? And she was like, well, that's just, we, that's just not something we do. And I remember being sort of flabbergasted. Well, I mean, I just, I didn't know how to question that i was just kind of like what uh, uh okay <laughs> <laughs> well i went back into school and was like my mom said i can't join and i think carolyn was kind of sad but i think she could have been sad for many reasons yeah, yeah. Like that you were from a home that didn't support <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> or like we're judging you and it wasn't you personally but that it basically it was like my family's cause and my situation has so far to go from being accepted it was probably hurtful on many levels yeah I do remember though and this was before um before I found out that Carolyn's mom was lesbian I went over to Carolyn's house for something I don't know if it was a sleepover or what but I remember going and like she was like introducing me to her family and she was like, and this is my mom and this is Marge. And I was like, hi, Carolyn's mom. Hi, Marge. 
and like never connected the dots at all. I was like, family, friend, auntie, neighbor, whatever. If it mattered, she would tell me, are we going to watch a movie now? <laughs> so over my head. Um, yeah. And so there's the, the second sort of thing that I wanted to disabuse you guys about is that at the time, I, I didn't have any idea that I was queer, which maybe was me being a little slow on the uptake because I definitely remember like the first things that made me feel any kind of sexual feeling was pictures of like, they were like comic book pictures of superhero women. (laughs) (laughs) But like, (laughs) like in those funny tight outfits with like the boob socks, I was like, hmm, but didn't know what that feeling was. But anyways, uh, yeah, so completely oblivious. So when I like couldn't join the GSA because of mom, I wasn't like, oh no, my identity. I was like, no, sorry, friend. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's helpful. I'm glad at least that even before you recognized, you know, you're, that you yourself were queer, I'm glad that it wasn't a hurtful experience so young because that was something that I worried about because I think that we all know that growing up in Mormon culture or in a very Mormon home is not a welcoming place to, you know, begin to understand yourself if you're queer. Yeah, I'm sorry, Megan. That shit was probably hard. Honestly, like, I, I seriously did not connect those dots for myself until college. Um, so it just, like, it didn't feel like a personal issue, but it was just something that I didn't know how to feel about, like, the church's position on on LGBTQ people. I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, do you want to talk about what your feelings are now? Because, I mean, I'm not sure exactly where you are, but from my last conversations with you, I feel like you're still actively Mormon and and desiring to be actively Mormon, which obviously we respect, even though we're, you know, in different places ourselves, which is one reason we started this podcast. Sure. Um, I mean, I go, I kind of go back and forth on what I want. Um, yeah, I, I kind of feel like I'm not really, I'm not, like, my heart isn't really in it right now. But at the same time, I kind of feel like part of me is always going to be connected to that. And it feels weird to even think about severing that connection. Or trying to figure out, like, like, I don't know. You guys, like, you guys grew up in the church, too. Mm -hmm. And I... I know, like, Lincoln, you never really felt, like, a super strong connection to it. I'm not sure about um, Courtney and Lindsay, you guys, but did you feel like you had to replace that sort of foundation or sense of spirituality with something else? Or did it just feel like a non-issue, like it wasn't important at all? Neither. Uh, (laughs) I personally felt like... I think I didn't feel as um, deeply rooted in it, maybe as Courtney and you do or did did do, um, <laughs> but not as disconnected as Lincoln. I felt like you know this it's inextricable from family, <laughs> mm-hmm. which you know, and it is, and that has proven true. I felt like. Uh, it was sort of foundational to how we were raised. And then when I didn't believe it anymore and I didn't want to practice it anymore. Yeah, there was a void. And honestly, there still is like, I still feel like there's, there's nothing that is like, that takes the place of like that weekly like spiritual sense of community and ritual and checking in. Uh, 
I miss that part of the church. Like if that's all it were, <laughs> then I would go back, but it's not. Uh, and I'll, I'll never go back. No, I agree with Lindsay. I feel like I was deeply, deeply, deeply rooted in Mormonism and it, and even to this day, it has like shaped my personality and affected who I am. And I say to people that for us, Mormonism was more than just a religion. It's like an ethnicity. I feel like even more than being Samoan, like who we are within our family was that we were Mormons. And it like shaped my ideas even about, you know, like what makes a good person? Like, how are you a good person? And so much of that was tied up in how good a Mormon you are. And so I feel like in many ways I had to reframe my thinking about who I wanted to be and like what my values were. Like honestly, Megan, when I left Mormonism and I don't even feel like it was that sharply black and white, you know, like you just leave and you're done. I feel like for me, it was like years of slowly leaving or slowly separating myself or slowly stepping back from Mormonism. Um, and in that process, which for me was like incredibly traumatic and painful <laughs> and hurtful, um, just stepping away and like losing that part of your identity that I had to redefine. I felt like I had to redefine myself almost from the ground up, like on the very basic level of like, what are my values? Like, what do I believe? Not what was I taught to believe or what does like the church tell me to believe, but what do I actually think? about this and this and this and this I had to redefine my values um, and that was incredibly challenging and scary it's like frightening I felt like my whole life and and I didn't leave the church until I was in my late 20s so if you can imagine I had lived the substantial portion of my life with one identity I can imagine <laughs> Well, I mean, you can imagine. <laughs> you guys you stretch your imagination that far. <laughs> if you've got, obviously, you guys can imagine, but just like re-navigating or redefining yourself. I mean, I'm just trying to express to you and to whoever is listening how frightening and scary and like world shifting it is for someone to move from one worldview to something totally different yeah it has to be it has to be especially when it feels like your connection to your whole family is based on that worldview sharing that worldview that was I the hardest part felt like when i left because nobody else had left before i did um except for sarah who was never even fully in uh that it was like well, I just won't have a family now, I guess, sort of. It just well, that's, felt like... That's interesting to me that you feel like you were the first, Lindsay, because even though you had kind of stepped away or were starting to step away from church, I always perceived myself as being the first since I was the first one, I feel like, to really talk about it with mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, I didn't talk to them about it. But yeah, we also, I felt like it happened at very different times of life. Like, I stopped going to <clears throat> college, and they uh, made that senior year really difficult for me, honestly. I think I only started being really vocal about it was after high school when I was still living at home, because mom and dad knew that I wasn't into the church, um, and they could, like, sense how contentious I feel I felt about it, because I never liked going. Um Mainly because of the people. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we have a lot of like people in our ward who are no, just you're right. like, who are the worst? You're right. <laughs> um, and I, like, I hated trying to pretend that I was into the church and like say the correct things during lessons so that people would leave me alone. Um, I hated the aggressive friendliness that like almost made me feel like they were keeping me hostage when they yeah. would put their hands on my shoulder and say, Hey brother, good to see you this week. Um, 
Aggressive friendliness. That's such a funly. Oh, aggressive oh, friendliness like... is a uniquely Mormon trait. I don't know if that's. I don't true. know if it's uniquely Mormon, but it's definitely. Uh, it's in there, but the identity. Um, that's a, that's funny to me too. It's interesting. I don't know if we've ever even talked about this together, but it's interesting to me that for you it was largely about the people. For me, I feel like I loved the people. Do you know what I mean? Like it was not nece- not you know not not the Harmony Ward, Virginia, but I mean through the many Mormon congregations I had been with and in college and in Boston and these other places. I feel like I loved the people. I was, for me, it was much more existential. I was like, what are the, you know, what are the like irrevocable moral laws of the universe? Like what is truth? Like, is God real? And what does he care about? I feel like I was like melting down in the existential. Hmm. I don't think I ever got that deep with it um i <laughs> sorry i'm not trying i'm not trying to be rude i just for me i knew that i i didn't like going to church i knew that i did like having a beer with my friends um i knew i felt like i didn't know if there was a god or not but if i like tried my hardest to be kind to people and to be a good person then if I die, whatever happens, I'll probably be okay. Um, Lincoln, when did you first have a beer? And I'm wondering, did you feel bad since our entire life we were taught that like alcohol? I remember. (laughs) I remember (laughs) too. But I remember when you had your first alcoholic beverage. I um, I don't. I was not looped in. I went to this party with my friends and... um, I hadn't drunk alcohol before, so someone made me, like, a vodka cranberry. Um, <laughs> Which is the funniest first drink. <laughs> and I was like, mmm. Um, I, I just, like, sipped on it. But I was, like, high on the confidence of something new. Um, How old were you? Oh, I was probably 18 It was right after high school. Yeah, it was right after high school. So I... I had a great time. I met a lot of people. Um, I came home and wrote in my journal that I had this my first sip of alcohol, and it was like <laughs> such a fun experience. Um, and then eventually, mom saw my journal on the table, and she flipped it open because she didn't know what it was. And it flipped right to the journal entry where I talk about my first sip of alcohol. And oh, then right. mom confronted me about it, and she was like, "You know, I opened that page." And I swear it was the Lord who opened it to the page where you. <laughs> oh my gosh, Lincoln! I mean, why did you leave your journal on the table? I gotta blame you on that. Well, one. I didn't like. I didn't expect her to open it, but that was also hard for me because I love journaling, and that one like talk made me just distrust all the people in my life because I felt like I had no privacy what? and even distrust like the private spaces. I didn't feel like I could write things down about how I felt. Yeah. So I didn't journal for a while. That's invasive. Also, it's so, it's annoying to me that she came for you about that because even journaling about it is such a, it's evidence of how deeply like Mormon culture has influenced you. journaling is such a mormon thing they got to you in this one way it's actually not just mormon i mean i know lots of people who deeply love no i know but love journaling but i mean that more culture because family and like leaving a record for your posterity is really important within mormonism Mm. that was a hard talk i had with mom though i think that was one of the first times i made her cry well, they, we you had that talk, and I came down and saw you having it, and then later, maybe later that night or that week, they made us have that family home evening where mom made dad talk to you about it, and he was like, Lincoln, why did you feel like you wanted to try alcohol? When, when I was your age, when I, when I tried, I preferred marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> And mom was like, stop. (laughs) 
See, this is hilarious because I never had any talks where dad talked to, I mean, obviously I felt like, well, at least I assumed that dad had drank before because mom and dad always tell that story about how they were out and they had gotten those virgin drinks and the waitress messed up and the drinks weren't virgin and mom was drinking it and couldn't tell. And dad had one step and he was like, Amy, cease drinking. (laughs) This is not a virgin drink. Cease from drinking. This is the best virgin pina colada I've ever had. (laughs) And mom was just like having a good time. But it's also hard for me to believe that story because you can clearly taste alcohol. And if you don't drink, you would immediately tell something was wrong with your drink because it's a different it's different tastes than you've ever had. I feel like only people who have never had alcohol could believe that story. Oh, maybe she'd never had any kind of a pina colada either. I could, I could see mom being like that sort of oblivious or innocent. Maybe I only see that because I could see myself doing that too. But yeah. Well, if you've never had alcohol, you don't like the taste. It's just Mm. completely different than anything you've ever had. So it's hard for me to imagine someone not noticing. I'm not saying it's not possible, but it it makes me have to, you know, just like step back my disbelief. Sure. Wait, so Lincoln, your first taste of alcohol, you you enjoyed it then. You you weren't like, what is this? Oh, vodka cranberry is great. So smooth. Um, okay. <laughs> and, then, and then I had a rum and coke right after that. It's also just really funny. You were like 6'3", having a, you sipping on a vodka cranberry. <laughs> you, you didn't feel that, I'm sure. You didn't get drunk. And mom well, was like, this was, <laughs> how dare you? We have to have a conversation. I was also like having a great time. Um, the vodka cranberry uh this guy had made it for me because he was flirting with me and i was like very flattered uh so (laughs) i was i was like riding high on how good the drink was i was flattered that this guy was trying to be nice to me um i was like meeting a lot of new people well i mean i understand mom's reaction totally i mean i obviously drink now and enjoy drinking but before i ever drank um it's I can completely understand how it was really painful to see people in your life who you love drink. Mm -hmm. Like I remember when I was getting divorced, one thing that happened was that I saw on our bank statement that the like Quinn had spent money at a liquor store and I was like, Oh no. (laughs) And it was like very, very hurtful. And I remember asking him about it. And him just lying, him saying, oh, no, you know, I owed someone money. And and then we were together and they said, why don't you buy me these drinks to make up for it? And and that's obviously a lie. Mm -hmm. Hmm. But just um, if you are really Mormon and believe that drinking is wrong and then people in your life who you love and care about are suddenly drinking and going against your core values, it can be really, I can understand how that was really hurtful to mom and she felt she had to address it to try and like put you back on the straight and narrow. It was a hard talk for me because like the scale of the offense for me and her was so different for me it was like i had a sip of vodka cranberry at this party um it made me feel like more confident and i just had a good time talking to people i didn't hurt anyone but for her it was like i had started down the path of damnation (laughs) more than that it's like separating it's just so I don't know, painful or impactful for Mormon parents. Like, I think I told you guys when I told mom and dad that that I was moving in with Matt, that I was moving to New York and that I was moving in with Matt. They were horrified. But more than that, mom actually said to me, oh, no, I'm so... I'm so sad. I'm just so sad. And the reason I'm so sad is because I wanted us all to be together, meaning that when we died, we weren't going to be together because I was going to go to hell and the rest of the family would be in heaven. 
right mm-hmm. which is a incredibly emotionally manipulative i think i don't think she meant it to be manipulative i honestly I think, think it matters mom is like me where she's processing outside of her brain she's just processing while she's talking about it and i think she was processing it live with me as i was telling it to her um, and I was saying to her, you know what, it's going to be okay. I don't want you to worry about it. But she was like melting down about how I was going to be with the family in the afterlife. I don't think what it's okay, say? like, whether or not it was her intention for her to put, you know, her hopes of eternal happiness on anyone else's actions but her own, including her children. I mean, that's what... I don't know. I think that's something that they both and many Mormon parents of inactive children need to sort out because that's really toxic and really bad for these relationships. It's hard because like you love your parents and you want to make them happy, but at the same time you want to live your own life and make your own decisions. Like I never wanted to go on a mission and I I knew that if I went on a mission, even though I didn't like believe in the church, just because it was what mom and dad wanted me to do and the church thought I should do it, I would be fucking miserable for two years. I would hate myself. I'd feel like an imposter. I, I know that I have a different, ex- different experience than the rest of you, but I personally regret not going on a mission because I think it would have been the better option for me than getting married <laughs> at 21. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> fair like, point. I would have come out of that with possibly some language skills and not the like shitload of debt I inherited from my marriage that ended up being a bad a bad engagement. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think it had to be one or the other though. You could have just not gotten married or <laughs> and not gone on a mission. You could have been like me. Yeah. It's hard to conceptualize, though. You know, it's hard to go back thinking about my like young Mormon self, where it was like so black and white. It was one or the other. I'm such yeah. a different person now than I was at 21. I think it was very clearly marriage or mission. Mm. That's funny. I never felt the pressure to go on a mission. Oh, I felt it heavy. Not well, I before I got did. married. The night before I got married, mom sat me down and said, a mission is still an option. (laughs) Tell me now you want to go on a mission. We'll cancel this. I'll call them myself. (laughs) That's That's like stories you hear about girls who decide I'm going to go on a mission. And they like, they like set all everything in motion and announce it to the Lord. And then some dude is like, how about you marry me? And you're like, I was here before and you said nothing. So I felt bad. Um, Y'all have probably seen this, but there is a girl from our old ward who she served her mission in Samoa. I remember afterwards, mm-hmm. mom saying something like, that should have been you. Oh, God. Jeez. See, that's not cool. Yeah. She needs to, you know. I think they both need a bit of therapy, to be honest. More than a bit. I've been, I've been <laughs> encouraging them to go to therapy for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I know... Mom tried to get me to go to therapy once, which was great because I really wanted to go to therapy. But she set me up with, like, one of her Mormon friends who's also a therapist. Mm. And I just didn't feel, like, comfortable at all going into that. Especially because we went in. The guy immediately says, uh, can we start with a prayer? And I was like, mm. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish you had felt like you could be honest enough to say, I would like to see a therapist, but I would like to see like a neutral third party who is not Mormon so yeah. that we're on equal ground. Or even just somebody who's not like one of mom's good friends who you feel confident that they're not going to be like, so Amy, this is yeah. what your son's I'm concerned you about be, your son. anyway. Yeah, but, Megan, that would yeah. be incredibly but unethical. Yeah, Still, I know, but it would be, but I felt in my bones understandable irrational fear yeah well one thing too when i've done much therapy in my life um probably more related to my divorce than to my mormonism but i feel like one thing that in a reverse way was really challenging lincoln is when i was trying to explain to my therapist 
in times when I was really low, it felt like having to explain Mormonism on top of having to explain, you know, like my own trauma or like my own struggles as a person was like another barrier. You know, like sometimes it felt like a mountain on top of an ocean. Like for you to even understand the trauma that I'm feeling, I have to explain what Mormonism is. And like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it just felt like sometimes it felt like such a mountain to climb. It felt so hard. Yeah. I've I've had some of the trouble too. Sorry, Link. I've had some of that trouble too, finding a therapist because like, I mean, the, like the pro of going to see a Mormon one is that you don't have to explain the church at all. But the con is that they're probably pretty active. So if you're questioning it, there's a worry that like, like their their goal in the therapy is to kind of steer you back onto the straight and narrow. Right. Whereas if you go see somebody who's outside the church, you have to explain all about the church and that culture. And I almost feel like I have to defend it to them, even though I am in two minds about it. Just mm-hmm. they're not like well obviously that's wrong why are you even considering it unless we had like this is a big part of me asshole i don't know yeah 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 well that's i think one reason why in my adult life whenever i meet ex-mormons in the city or at bars or at conferences or anywhere i immediately feel like i know that person it doesn't matter yeah. where they come from, you know, what they're like, what their personality is. I feel like we instantly have some like sort of deep shared connection where immediately I'm like, I know you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All my transition um, to being inactive, I think, was made easier because all of my friends from church who I actually got along with, they stopped being Mormon uh, at about the same time as me. So we would meet up every week and just have like a a beer night. Bad kids club. Yeah. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah. Like, who was that? Like Bryce? Um. That well, Bryce did show up sometimes. It was like Tyler Raj. Uh, it was like Tyler. <laughs> uh, it was like Jared. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler. Beep. Um. Yeah. Jared. My buddy Ian. Um. Yeah, we would just meet up pretty weekly have a drink um sometimes we talk about the church but like uh i think we were just glad to have company and like enjoy this thing that we had never had real access to uh together can i tell you something that still bothers me yeah and i still don't know how to feel about it Mm -hmm. (laughs) so we all know this but in case our listeners don't know mormons when they're young I think 16, I can't remember, 12, they get what's called a patriarchal blessing, which is like a prayer Not given. There's no set age. Okay. Well, it's like a blessing that you get by the patriarch, which is like an assigned position within the Mormon church. And it is transcribed for you. So you have it your whole life. And basically you think of it as like a roadmap or a template for your entire life. You're given like this instruction from God. Um, and my patriarchal blessing said that I always needed to be careful. And the exact words were something to the effect of because there were people who said, come, let us do this or come, let us do that. Meaning that I needed to be really careful because with my friends because my friends would lead me away from Mormonism and from the church. And as that has come to be true in my own life, I'm wondering if like, was it like always meant to be or was it always predicted that I would leave Mormonism or is this just like coincidence or is this like bullshit? I'm always like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I don't personally place a lot of or any truth in my patriarchal blessing. I have lost it since, but I no, mine but is I at home, never... I believe. I had never heard of anyone's patriarchal blessing being really negative, and my patriarchal blessing was intensely negative. It was so negative. I was in a bad mood that day. But wait, listen to this. Mine was so negative that after I got it at like 16, I remember thinking to myself, I guess I'm going to have a really sad life. (laughs) Mm. Can you tell us some of the other things it said? Was it all just sort of like, like, beware of this and beware of that, or... Um, I remember it was about me leaving the church and about struggle. 
I mean, I haven't read it in years. I would have to try and dig it up in my records. I'm, I'm sure I probably have it somewhere, but it was like how I would, I could be persuaded to leave the church, how I would experience lots of struggle. Um, I don't remember much else. I remember it talking about like church, yeah. church positions I would have, you know, like leading. And I remember it said I would lead in the primary and I remember it said that I would be a good mother. Oh. that's all I remember I don't remember all of mine I remember the wording um, freaks me out a little bit just because it had said something um, or it used a phrase that was uncommon that I had like thought about maybe a few days earlier um, I don't remember exactly what the phrase was but I think my patriarchal blessing it's something like if you remain in the church You'll do well in education. You'll meet a good woman. Um, yada, yada. And I think mm -hmm. that would be true because if I remained in the church, I would have gone to BYU-Hawaii. I probably would have met some girl there. Um, or I would have served a mission and then gone on to BYU-Hawaii. But you never really know what would have happened. Yeah. Mine said something about getting married and, like, learning a lot of skills that would make me a good homemaker and, like, being yeah. instrumental in keeping something about, like, keeping the family together or something like that. Mm. That's interesting. Megan, what did yours say? Uh... I remember being disappointed that mine was, it felt sort of general. Because, I mean, you always hear, like, those few examples of somebody who was like, my patriarchal blessing was so specific, it was eerie. And then mine was just like, like, the patriarch quoted the song, Count Your Many Blessings. And I was like, you didn't even come up with that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it said, like, I know many times in life you become negative and feel downtrodden, downtrodden. So count your many blessings. And I was like, okay. And then it did mention something about if you stay active in the church, you will find a husband and go to the temple and stuff. Um, yeah. I don't know. So I remember like thinking, okay, but being sort of disappointed because I had this notion in my head of prophecy as being closer to like I guess closer to like fantasy fiction like, <laughs> kind of wanted my patriarchal blessing to be like Megan you are the chosen one <laughs> <laughs> we all wanted that though I felt like it was fun because it was like in the same way that you like getting like an astro <laughs> you know or yeah. like taking a personality test and being like oh it's so accurate I am like you know yeah. Well, it's fortune stuff. telling. It's literal fortune telling. Yeah. Mm. That was a really funny image that you brought up, Megan. I'm <laughs> I'm sort of just imagining the person, the patriarch, like placing his hands on his head and then his eyes go white. He says, "At last." She's <laughs> 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 here. <laughs> the patriarch, our great uncle. We have found you at last. The chosen one has been born. Um, yeah, I, I think um, I think as far as how you feel about your patriarchal blessing or what it what it means to you or what use it has for you, you just kind of you have to decide that for yourself. I feel like there's good stuff in mine, but it is very general, and I think. Sometimes I'm annoyed at how much choice is left to me for interpretation. Is that funny thing of like, oh, Mormon doctrine is like, oh, in the pre-existence, we all fought so hard to have agency, to protect our agency and have the right to choose. And then you get down here and you're like, why can't you, God, just tell me what I'm supposed to do? There's too much choice. <laughs> what do I do with my life? That's interesting. Something that's really surprised me, this is a little bit changing the subject, but something that's really surprised me is that 
um, how much I've forgotten of Mormonism. Like I was oh, yeah. active for 28 years and very active, like reading all of this Mormon scriptures and going to church every week, multiple times a week for the many activities, but already in, you know, my five to seven years outside of Mormonism, if I've forgotten so much, if someone asked me to explain the Mormon plan of salvation, I don't think I could do it. I've already forgotten. Mm. Um, I can still draw out the plan of happiness. I was never very good at remembering the stories or the names of, uh, like, the Book of Mormon prophets. I, I remember more from the cartoons, honestly, than I remember from um, lessons. You mean like from the Mormon videos we would watch on Sundays? Like yeah, the, the ones that mom and dad bought in bulk. It just surprised me how um, just intangible memory is. <laughs> Which is one reason I feel like even, even stepped away from Mormon culture. Like I would like to journal more and have that be a part of my life because I just forget things so quickly. I just remember very, very little of my day-to-day. Like, next year, I'll remember almost nothing of now. Even though um, I don't go to church, I still feel a connection to the church because it's where I came from for so many years. So I'll, like, check in on the church, I guess, every now and then. I'll, like, go on Mormon.org and see what the news is and, like, see if there's any big updates. But... Oh, I don't do that at all. I feel like I have zero interest in Mormonism, but at the same time, I'm deeply connected to Mormonism. Does that make sense? Like if people ask yeah. me, I say that I'm Mormon because I feel Mormon. I'm ethnically Mormon, but am I actually Mormon? It's no. not actually an ethnicity. It just but it, feel, it feels like one to me. I feel like I I don't check in. I don't go to like Mormon.org, but if I see something about the church in the news... Like when they when there was that thing about uh, how the church had been hoarding all this money. Do you remember that? I read oh, that, that yeah. Wall Street Journal article. Yeah, I was like shit. I ate that. So much money. money back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, For anyone I ate. listening, it was this Wall Street Journal article about how there was a I think it was like about a fund related to the Mormon church and how they had not been been paying taxes correctly like they had listed themselves as a nonprofit, but actually they had made like a billions of dollars in profit so should have been taxed well churches don't pay taxes so just through tire they've made so much money I think they were sitting on like a 10 billion dollar nest egg and they listed these uh numbers about how much money the church was actually spending on humanitarian work and it was far less than that so the issue was like is it ethical to hoard this amount of money and not do anything with it right well is it ethical for them not to pay taxes one thing Um, i hate about mormon culture is how much how much respect they have for wealth like yes. honestly I feel like the number one reason mom and dad respect me is that I have a good job now and I make money <laughs> and yes. since I've left the church I feel like not that they've forgiven me they haven't but that the one thing that makes it a little bit better for them is that I'm successful right like, now they, they love me for being successful <laughs> yeah it softens the blow like they love me for being successful even though they're they're intrinsically disappointed in me for my life choices. Well, that's why they like me. That's a little bit. Do you not think that's a little bit though, that it's just like something about your situation that they don't feel like they have to worry about, you know, that they're super anxious about your soul or what have you, but, but my body's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But that like, you can take care of yourself in pretty much all other respects. That's a really nice and generous way to think of that. I'm going to start thinking about it from that way, too, because honestly, I have that reverse fear. 
I'm constantly like one reason that I'm constantly trying to save and do better is because I deeply want to be able to take care of our parents and not just our parents, but even the rest of you. I feel this tremendous responsibility on me personally to like be the bridge between our family and poverty and to take care of everyone whenever they might need. That's nice, but I also don't feel like you need to feel that way. Well, it's easy for you to say that when people aren't asking you for money all the time. (laughs) Right. Um, I appreciate you, Courtney. And I am sorry that I have leaned on the bank of Coco in the past, but... No, I mean, I'm happy to do it. I am. I'm truly happy to do it. I love all of you. I love our family. I love our brothers and sisters. It's just stressful. It's like a I'm happy to do it and it's also a weight. It's like a Sisyphean weight. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, um, does anyone else have anything more they want to talk about? Anything else they want to say on the subject before we wrap up i feel like it was some heavy mormon shit that's probably what i'm gonna call the episode (laughs) (laughs) but also i mean it's it's the real real that's what we personally have dealt with and i know we're not the only ones i read articles sometimes about you know young people leaving orthodox judaism or leaving other religions and i know it's it's not easy. It can be a struggle. And so we're not alone in feeling those feelings. Yeah. And also, you know, on the flip side, staying is not easy. I remember when I was very, very actively within Mormonism, there, it took a toll on me. It was a strain to say, to stay sometimes meaning that you loved it and you believed in it with your whole soul but sometimes you wanted to change so much that it, that it took a it was a strain on you personally to be different you know what i mean to be different within the organization but to stay because you felt like your voice mattered and your voice could make a change and that your voice made mormonism better yeah or just the strain, because, like, I mean, for myself, speaking for myself, I feel like there's a certain progression that you kind of are supposed to follow in the church. Like, you go on your mission, and then you get married, and then you make babies, and blah, 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 blah. And I kind of didn't do any of those. And so, I don't know. I feel like. I'm I'm not progressing in a church way and not really in a personal way either and feel sort of stuck. And so, I don't know. It's kind of hard to know what I want. <laughs> well, I think the first step is figuring out what you want and then throwing all your resources behind it, meaning like your time and your energy and your, you got to know what you want to move in that direction. Yeah. But I mean, don't feel too bad, Megan. Um, I also am exactly the opposite, maybe, of where I thought I would be. Married, got divorced, no kids, not a real clear direction about what I want for my future beyond knowing that I want, you know, like financial security and stability and what I would really like it are very simple things. You know, I would like to have like a big dining room table. I could have friends and family over and, you know, drink wine or, or just have dinner together. I want very, very simple things that are about community and like loving my neighbor and my family and my friends. Yeah. Like that song, Lindsay, that I want to have with a crowded table. Oh, I love that song. Oh, I've never heard that. You know, it's making by, it's that album. Um, Lindsay the told me about it called "The High Women." It's a great album. I'll have to listen. It's a country supergroup. 
Um, yeah. Megan and Lindsay, why don't you record a new um, theme song for our podcast? I just did it, but I'm definitely not the best singer. I think you guys should record a new theme song for us. <laughs> we should really let our true talent shine. Well, we'll think about that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I'll get to work. Lincoln, send me your your lyrics. I'll send you my guitar riffs. Yeah, send me all the licks you have. Come right up. <laughs> I'll just do some I hot Pretty high licks too. Yeah. <laughs> One's done way up high on the tiny strings. <laughs> yeah, this is a a reference I haven't heard in about fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> strong strong bad has a deep roots in my memory. Oh that's that's favorite childhood memory. Yeah, me too. Me too. Hmm. Me too. Well anyway, I love you guys. Um it's always good talking and you know learning more about each other and Megan, I know you know, but we're happy to have you on the podcast anytime. Thanks for having me. Of course. Love you too. Love you guys. All right, love you guys. Talk soon. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Smell you later.